1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
0: Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the WWE Hall of Famer and Oklahoma's most favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And when you have a name that transcends the medium that made you, that's when you know you got it made. (laughs) The moments that he had with Andy Kaufman on the David Letterman show have been called in the top 50, the top 100, the top 25 greatest list in television history. He is synonymous with Memphis or Memphis is synonymous with him. He is the King, Mr. Jerry Lawler. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Hi guys. How are
2: you? Oh, King, man, that's great. Uh, It's it's so awesome to have you on here. what, What John said, I mean, you know, everything about you. You know, finally we got somebody on here that I can relate to age-wise. And and you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna insult you by saying you're my age, but I got you by a couple of years, but we're we're in that same time frame. You started in the 70s, I started in 68, but what a great time we we caught the the tail end of some of the greatest legends of this business, like the Luthes and the Buddy Rogers. The, Wall Berries, the Fargo's, the Dalton's, the toads all those guys, you, you've you had the pleasure of being in a ring from, with guys from Luthes to John Cena and everybody, and I mean everybody in the history of this business in between, man. So it's so awesome to have you on here so we can talk about some, some really true old days that even before that guy up there, that young kid,
1: Layfield, that that they don't even know about. So welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, when you mention those names, especially Luthez, that sends me back to in the early 70s, uh, a match I'll never forget. Me and Jim White, they had just put uh, Jim White and I together down in Memphis and as a tag team, and we had a match against Luthez and Pat O'Connor, wow. and the special referee – Was Jersey Joe Walcott, the uh, ex-boxing heavyweight boxing champion? So I mean, you can't. We're talking about wrestling and boxing history. Can't go much further back than that, can you?
2: And that—that was a great thing too. Remember Jersey Joe and 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 the Brown Bomber, uh, Joe Lewis. I mean, they used to go around and they would referees. I remember one week I was fortunate enough to uh, to be on uh, some big shows. I followed. uh, Joe, uh, Joe Lewis around, I think we're in like Kansas city. We're in St. Louis, we're in Houston, we're in Greensboro, we're in Charlotte and we're in Richmond. And then we came down to Tampa and Miami and Joe looked at me and he said, kid, everywhere I look, he said, I see you, man. He's I said, well, everywhere where I look, Joe, I see money out there because I'm on the card with you. So, but that was a, that was a great thing time. Hellman Jersey, Joe, and what great, great guys to work with, but you mentioned another guy there that's often overlooked, you know, we hear the Lute says all the time, but Pat O'Connor working right. with him was like working with, with, with an invisible
1: man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to, and to be in the same ring with both of those guys yeah. uh, against them as a tag team. I mean, that was, I still, like I said, that's the first thing I want to talk about when we're talking about past history. That's my, my go-to match. I mean, yeah. Yes. I'll never forget after the match, uh, Joe, let's see. Um, Jim White was getting covered by Luthez and I came into the ring and made the save. I kicked Luthez in the back. <laughs> and it was so funny. After the match, uh, Pat O'Connor came to me and said, kid, when you kicked Luthez, you looked like you were kicking a keg of dynamite. And I said, yeah. well, that's because that's what I thought I was kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jerry, they
0: talk about age. You know, me, you, and Dutch Mantell all share the same birthday. Now, now, Dutch was born a century before us. But, uh, <laughs> me, and, me and you and uh, Dutch all share November 29th, the same birthday.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I, actually, Dutch and I were born on the exact same date. We same year, there, everything. Everything. Same day, same wow. year, everything. Yeah. yeah. So we're... Uh, we're cosmic brothers from different mothers or something like that. I don't
2: know. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like me and Tony Guerrero. But Tony was born in Auckland, New Zealand, and I was born in Seminole, Oklahoma. But we figured out the time difference and everything. We were born like probably two minutes apart or something like oh, that. Oh, no kidding.
1: <laughs> And then, uh, but, I think Dutch and I figured that out before, too. And Dutch, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to say, he is a little older than me.
2: <laughs> Dutch is almost older than me, but uh, Jerry, you know, going back, going back to, to, to your early days in Memphis, I mean, uh, you know, Memphis is such a, a, a famous wrestling territory it was, was so good, you know, and uh, had the great talent passing through there. I heard you talking to our brother Stone Cold the other day about you know the original owner of of, of Tennessee, Nick Gulett. I mean, he was world famous. He, uh, th- I'd always swore in my mind hearing these horror stories because we, you know, Oklahoma. I started in Oklahoma. We seemed to get those guys that drifted out of Tennessee up to Oklahoma, just you know, when they were all just surviving. I was just you know, getting learning how to lace my, my boots up and tie my tie my straps and tuck them in my in my top boot top there. They were all tell me, kid, you're just starting out. We just come from Memphis. Never go to Memphis. I'd already heard <laughs> it, heard, heard the story. Did, did Jack ever uh, – not Memphis, but Nashville for Nick Goulet? Don't go work for Gould, that's it.
1: Did you at ever that hear- time, At that time, though, Jerry, Nick, uh, when Nick was the promoter, Memphis, Nashville, all the cities, Nick was over all of them. He promoted wow. all the cities. Yeah. And, and, and he was notorious for being a, a horrible payoff guy. Oh, and it, it, but one of the things uh, it was, it was always a funny story. Like he would love, he would bring in, uh, he, he would love to bring in Mexican wrestlers right. and didn't would pay them so little that they couldn't afford to leave. Yeah. They, had, they had no it, money to be able to get a, get a ride out of town. So uh, yeah, he, I can understand a lot of guys thought that they had bad payoff, but fortunately in 1977, Jerry, Jared, and I, Uh, well, let me see. (laughs) Jerry might've continued the same streak as Nick, but,
2: uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, that's the one I heard at the
1: beginning. (laughs) Yeah. We went into business for ourselves and, uh, that was the end of Nick. And I certainly, it was funny, Jerry and I would, would trade off. He would book for six months and just no matter what the date was, we would stop. he would stop booking that day. And I would start booking for six months. And we did that for years and years and years. And, um, so I did. I did get the reputation of being a little bit better payoff guy than Jerry. Yeah. at least that's uh, what a around. lot,
2: a lot better. I I can testify that, John. But uh, uh, Jerry,
1: <laughs> did 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 my brother Jack ever
2: tell you the story about when he 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 quit the business because of Nick Goulas. No, and when no. Jack was Jack was right out of school, of course you know, and he started in Oklahoma, of course. All those guys, you know, hey kid, if you if you want to make any money, you got to get out of here. You got to go somewhere, you know. So. He went down to uh, he went to Leroy McGurk and Leroy said, yeah, yeah, I think Leroy's trying to teach him a lesson. He said, yeah, I'll call Nick Gulis and I'll you down there. Well, nope. Jack left. Jack was married and had three kids at the time and uh, just starting out just out of college. And so Eddie, uh, Eddie uh, uh, Leroy sent him down to Nick. Well, Jack had this old Grand Prix and, you know, he, he drove, he caught it kind of like I heard uh, Stone Cold saying, you know, he drove the car because the other guys would pay you rent and fill up your gas tank and they sure. were making 10, 15 bucks a night. So one night during a rainstorm, he was coming around one of those mountain curves and this is before the interstate, of course, you yeah, know, you yeah, started man. back, you started back in those days too, and they had a landslide and a damn big boulder landed right on the hood of jack's grand prix and totaled the damn thing out oh my god so here's a kid he got no money no nobody nothing you know and uh he's trying to get home you know and he's he, uh, trying to go to nick nick's not giving him that or anything like that because nick knows if he gives him any money he's going to leave
1: so yeah, one right. one
2: of the one of the guys Buddy monroe Give Jack $25, Jack takes it $25, go down to Continental Trailway Station there and Nashville buys him a one-way bus ticket back to Oklahoma, and he's quitting the business. Oh, man. And, and so uh, uh, Leroy called him when he got home. He told him, hey, man, I'm sorry. Uh, he sent him down to Fritz, and he started making a little money down and with Fritz and everything. But yeah, but Nick
1: nearly ran uh, Jack out of the business before he ever got started. Well he ran me out too in like the first couple months that I, I was in the uh, business. And where you're talking about, he had to be going to Chattanooga because to go to Chattanooga from Nashville, you had to go, um you had to go to no that's good. I'm kind of fine. Um had somebody trying to help me with a light right there. But I you thought they go, were
2: gonna give you a diet coke there.
1: <laughs> you had to go <laughs> to the uh Yeah, hey, I'll do so it. I, I know you guys put it on do not disturb, but I don't know how to do that. But, <laughs> but anyway, hey, you know, we talk about and we'll get back to talking about um uh old-time wrestlers and, and talking about things that make you seem old or feel old or actually realize how old you are. I just this past week JBL and I were both in uh, in Providence, Rhode Island for the for Rhode Island Comic Con. And uh one of the only reasons that I agreed to do that Comic Con was because two of my all time favorite TV stars uh, were going to be there Wally and the Beaver, Jerry wow. Mathers and Tony Dow from Leave It to Beaver. And I watched that show my entire life as a kid growing up. And still, if it's still on today, I still watch it every time it's on. And I don't know, I heard they were going to be there. So I said, I want to go, <laughs> I want to see Wally and the Beaver. And I swear to God, in my mind, I was thinking I was going to see the Wally and the Beaver from the <laughs> TV show. Right. right. <laughs> well, anyway, they, they're about the same age as me, maybe just a little bit older than me, a couple years older. And uh, so, but it, it was re- still really cool to see those guys, you know, see uh, JBL. I don't know if there was anybody there that you got to see that you, that you enjoyed seeing from the past or hadn't seen in a long time. But. I, I love doing those comic cons just to, just to get to meet those people.
0: Yeah, I do too. And, and uh, King was funny. Cause I've told several people the story. That's the only time I've seen you enamored by a celebrity. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's funny because Undertaker was that way with Dr. J when Dr. J once walked in the dressing room, he, he couldn't speak, you know, and he's cool hand Luke. King is the same way. I mean, Jerry Lawler's
1: right. a very,
0: very famous person. Yeah. And and he was set there and they, the beaver, and Wally were sitting right next to us in uh, the green room, and King took a photo like the like a fan would of them over there. <laughs> 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 you could
1: see my face and, and Beaver was sitting at the table behind me, and I'm going, ah, look at this. But then I that was before I actually got to meet him. And then after I got to meet him, and then um, I, I sent out a tweet saying how nice it was to uh, to meet those guys and how big a fan I was of them. And the next day, Beaver's wife came down to where to where I was, uh, the table that I, in booth that I was at, and she saw, she had her phone, and she somebody sent her the tweet that I'd put out about them, and she just thanked me and get, took my information and said that they were going to get in touch with me. They're actually coming back to Tennessee in a month or so up in Gallatin, Tennessee, for a show up there. So, uh, yeah, it, it was really cool to meet those guys. And like, like I said, a lot of those times, a lot of times you'll meet somebody, and that you're just enamored with, and then all of a sudden you realize that they're they're fans of yours too, or they don't know who you are. I'm just always shocked to find somebody like that, like like Lou uh, Lou Ferrigno. Oh my gosh, you know the, the incredible Hulk guy. Right. Uh, I mean, he's be- I met him through the through the comic cons, and and he's become just an old hand. Every time every time I see him, he wants me to show pictures of my my girlfriend's on my phone. My <laughs> <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs>
2: Well, your, buddy, your, buddy was
0: there. your buddy was there too. You're 18 years away from uh or about 20 years away from being old enough to go into space with him. Well, uh, William yeah,
1: Shatner Bill Shatner. <laughs> Everybody, you know, he told me you got me at JR when we first met him, he said, uh call me Bill. Call me Bill. My friends call me Bill. So I always call him Bill Shatner. Yeah, but uh yeah, and I got to speak to him a little bit. And I asked him, he was back in the green room, and I said, uh, I said, What are your um uh, what's your next Comic-Con that you're doing. And he went, oh, man, I don't know, Jerry. I, I'm i I'm telling you, I, I can't even remember where I'm at next. And he said, at my age, you can't remember much stuff. And I said, I understand. He said, I, I, I'm i to the point where I, I don't even buy green bananas. So I
2: thought
0: that was good <laughs> <laughs> well, he's an he, he, so you got to forgive him.
2: Yeah, exactly. he lost, he lost his mind in space there. But you know, you're talking about guys that 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 you you really uh, liked and really enjoyed watching. I I saw you post a picture with the soup Nazi. Oh
1: my gosh, I, yes. I have what a, a what, a, what got, a good guy he was.
2: Oh, I got exactly the, the reverse story with this guy.
1: Not a good and story.
2: I got. I I mean, a guy was a real a-hole. I mean, really. Uh, I was in LA and I, I'm sitting across from Patty Duke. And Patty Duke is flirting with me and you know, we we're, we're talking back at each other and and I, I'm I'm not, I'm like there, but I was a huge Seinfeld fan. So somebody said, Briscoe, you like Seinfeld, right? And I said, Yeah. He said, way back over in the corner, that might have been the reason because we're right there at the entranceway. And this guy is as four back and in the darkest corner as you can possibly get. Somebody told me the soup Nazi is way back there. You know, you know, I know you like side filming. Uh, you maybe want to meet it. So I said, yeah, great. You know, so I walk and it's, it's a long way from where we're. At. I finally get back there. Now we're closing down. It's closing down the first day. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and so, uh, I'm sitting there and, and I and I walk up to him, he packing his shit in it in, in his bag. And I go <laughs> over to him. I said, Hey, uh, hey, soup night. You know, a man I really enjoy. And I got my name tag on everything. I said, I'm up 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 there in front. I'm I'm you know, I'm part of the part of the show. I said, Could I take a picture with you? You know, most of the time, you know, you're working those things and it, you know, the you, you take. He points down at his table and said, "Photos thirty-five dollars." Wow! And I look at him. I said, "Go after <laughs> yourself, Nazi!" <laughs> and I throw around. I walk out. The promoter sees me walking away, and he said, "What happened?" He's the one to tell me go there. I said, "The guy wanted to charge me thirty-five dollars for a damn uh, for 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 a photo with him." He said, Do "You want?" I said, "No, I don't want one with him, man." I, I so he. He said, go back. So I went back to the table. About five minutes later, here he comes carrying all of his bags up with the promoter by his side. He walks over to me and he apologizes and said, hey, man, I'm sorry. He said... You know, I've had a bad day. He said, uh, you want to take a photo with me? And I said, sure. So I stood up and I t- took a photo. And I said, Hey, by the way, Nazi, my my of fifty dollars. But man, he, uh, he was he was just uh you know,
1: it was just a jerk that day for some. Reason. You, know, you probably hit him at a bad moment because yeah. uh, you know, this past weekend he couldn't have been nicer. I mean, he just uh uh he, and you know what was amazing to me. It seems like I've seen a soup Nazi on Seinfeld a thousand times, right? Yeah. And I was in shock when I asked him. I said, "How many episodes were you in on, with on the Seinfeld show?" Yeah. You know what the answer is? One. One. Really? I thought it was two. Yeah. <laughs> he was in only one episode, and I and he's. So, I mean, he's famous from that. That he sure. he does these comic cons somewhere almost every week, <laughs> yeah. and he's he sells soup. He sells little soup bowls. They're really cool. He autographs Gosh. the inside of a soup bowl. That's to, I saw to your carry. soup bowl no autograph. Soup yeah, <laughs> well, Jerry, cool I got enough.
0: Jerry. I got a heck of a deal. I got a, a autograph and a picture with King, and he only charged me eighty.
1: For yeah, a well, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that was for the combo. You got a good deal.
0: I, I, I got I got a heck of a deal. Yeah, I, I, I met remember. Lacey Underall one time. You know, she was the the girl that was in the the Caddyshack movie. You know, the really hot tennis uh, chick. You know that had yeah, the affair sure. with yeah. uh, Chevy Chase. And so they said, I said, well, I was here. They said, Lacey Underdog. Oh, my God. I said, can I meet her? Well, this is like 40 years later. <laughs> you know, I don't you care. Go. It's still my
1: childhood sweetheart. So sure. went and took yeah. a picture where her. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I,
1: love, I love those Comic-Cons. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else there was. that. that you know what is really amazing,
0: too. King, is that Cobra Kai guy. You know he. They said he was just a regular guy at Comic Con. All of a sudden, now he's he's the guy because of that main commercial. It's amazing
1: the celebrity status of, of yeah, how huge. people become such big celebrities. Can you guys hear the? – wouldn't you know it, I guess the people next door are all of a sudden are having their lawn cut. <laughs> Where are you at,
0: Huh? Where are you at? What's all
1: the stuff behind you? Uh, this is uh, this is my Bat Cave. This is, a, hang, on, hang on, let me take my phone out of this little hook and I'll, I'll give you a little.
2: Yeah, give us, us a little guy
1: to tour. Here.
2: Uh, uh, John, have you ever seen this?
0: I've actually been in the Batmobile and wore oh. the Bat Scowl. But, uh, yeah, I have,
2: yeah, 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 <laughs> unbelievable.
1: Huh? Okay, let's see, let me start, kind of, let's kind of start over here. Like I said, everything is, uh, everything's sort of Superman and Batman. This is one of my prized possessions right here. This is, a, uh, this is a piece, early Superman uh, from the newspapers, and it's signed by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Those are the guys that created Superman up in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, just.
2: We lost you, King. <laughs>
1: uh, uh, then I got a nice 10-foot-tall Incredible Hulk statue here. Wow. I got uh, Superman here, all my Superman stuff. Then over here, I got uh, no, I got some of my Cleveland, Cleveland memorabilia. A helmet signed by the entire 1964 Browns team that won the uh, NFL championship. All kind of stuff there. Then more Superman stuff here. I don't have all my lights on. Rat Fink, he's one of my favorites. More stuff over there. Let's what's see. your
2: favorite? What's your favorite item in that, in that room, there, Jerry?
1: I got a lot of Coca-Cola memorabilia as well. Yeah. Uh, and several Coke machines. Well, here's my favorite item right here, guys.
2: Oh man,
1: the Batmobile. Yeah.
2: Wow. That's a replica, right? Or is that the original?
1: No, the original sold last year for $4.1 million. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good replica, though. and This is uh, this is actually one of the cows that uh, Adam West wore. Uh, we got the Bat phone, Bat turn lever. Batman and Robin over there. And we got Spider-Man over here looking over things. And uh, that's that's probably my favorite item. Got some huh. Disney stuff down here. We got Batman and Deadpool there. Then right here, I brought this stuff down for um for the A and E show where they were looking for the lost items. I brought down a bunch of my my robes and, and capes and outfits that I've worn through the years.
2: I see the one that you kicked my butt on that you wore the night you kicked my butt. That red Which one. one. That Which red one, right one. Here? That, that red one. Yeah, I remember seeing that one kicking my butt. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> when we drew the biggest house in the
1: history of Memphis. And there's the, <laughs> there's the, uh, AWA title belt that I want for Kurt Henning and Bill Dundee. And I had these, uh, AWA world tag team titles back in 1988, but yeah, just a bunch of, bunch of crazy stuff out here. Well, Hey John,
2: John, you know, usually when somebody builds a four car garage, especially an athlete, they're putting these big fancy, you know, hot rods and a big fancy custom classic cars and, here, here! Lawler has a four-car garage built, and he puts Coca-Cola machines and an incredible Hulk and stuff like that in there. That's a smart man. That's a smart. That's a, smart that's a smart man because that stuff don't depreciate like all those hot rods do.
1: When I do have a real cool custom car right here on the outside, yeah. this is my favorite. Oh man. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a that's a uh, Lincoln uh, Corvette. Lincoln was a was a um, he was an engineer that worked for uh, Chevy and Corvettes, and, and he designed a special racing package for the Corvette engine. That thing will go like uh, two hundred and ten miles an hour. And have you be- it, Have you been two hundred and ten? Have I been going 210? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. As JR would say, it would be a good thing I'd wear black pants if I did. <laughs> Hang on. Hey, let me get this thing.
0: Hey, King, speaking of memorabilia, I was uh, texting with a, a a mutual friend of ours, a uh, colleague today, and I don't want to bring up something maybe negative, but uh, he was the one that that got you through one of your biggest matches uh, in your history when you were just a green guy trying to get started and stuff, and that was uh, Hammer and Tongs Cole, also known as Michael Cole.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hammer and Tongs (laughs) (laughs) Cole. Yeah, well, you know what what was good about that, though, was uh, uh, I I can't knock it because – Almost 30 years being in the WWE, I made my biggest payday ever working with Michael Cole. So wow. you can't, you can't knock it. Uh-huh. And my only, my only WrestleMania match, 30 years, that's the only one match I ever had at WrestleMania. He had ever. heat. I mean, you know, you give it, you gotta give, he had heat. You know, and went, Yeah, he did. <laughs> he really did. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, I guess that, uh, why they didn't go. Further with that or whatever, but anyway, I mean, it, it, it all went, it all went well except for the I never, I can never get over the fact that the the anonymous general manager reversed the decision after I made him tap out and and awarded him the victory. You know, worst well, <laughs> thing
0: ever is when, when it's with you, me, and Cole are around, and Cole mentioned he's undefeated. And no matter where we are, you always correct him. No, yeah. no, no! I, I won that match. I, the, the...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when wrestling was real. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. All the great not... matches. All the great matches you had. All the incredible people you wrestled with, from from Pat O'Connor and Luthez, and you end up in WrestleMania with Michael Cole.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also all the famous wrestlers and all the great wrestlers that I wrestled with. My most memorable match was with a 150-pound comedian, Andy Kaufman. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You yeah. know,
2: king, a king, at least you didn't have to wear a dress.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, some of the people <laughs> uh, some of the people that uh, uh, wound up in the WWE had to do some. Uh, what about Terry Taylor was the Red Rooster? Uh, even poor Dusty Rhodes at first. He had to be the, what was it, the plumber with the polka dot or yeah, whatever. The
2: polka dot, yeah
1: polka dots and uh yeah so many and, people and we, had, ron, we had we
2: had ron simmons on last week you know uh broke you know yeah <laughs> and so with, yeah it's
1: a uh, blue helmet and the, yeah exactly and the only and the o- other thing that i don't know how i missed was i uh poor jr was the founding member i think but i didn't have to join the kiss my ass club from mr mcmahon <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah. That, that, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I still remember when they had uh they got a tape of somewhere when when the the, the character uh, was a uh, big dick uh he was a, the the writer
2: Johnson DJ DJ, DJ
0: dick, they called him yeah. Big Dick or something. Big Big,
2: big dick, dick Johnson, <laughs> yeah. Big Dick Johnson, yeah, yeah Big Dick oh
0: Johnson my God. <laughs> Big Dick, whatever. Big <laughs> Dick When he got up on this they got up on the table, were you with JR when he punched him in the balls?
1: Oh gosh, I don't remember that. So dude. at the
0: end of the show, yeah. you know, they used to always do stuff. You know, they'd mess with me and Cole. They'd mess with, oh, me. sure. you know, they mess with Jr. So uh, Dick Johnson gets on the table in his diaper. You know, he's funny character. You know, off the, uh, you know, character off of uh, SNL. You know, uh, and uh,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so he's squirting baby oil everywhere. And King and uh, Jr. says, "What's the over under?" I punch him in the balls, and I think it was you <laughs> that said, "I dare you," and he punched him. <laughs> Square the nutsack. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He grabbed them, (laughs) falls over, rolls off, and you guys just walk to the back. (laughs) It was so good.
1: Yeah, I never, yeah, JR hated that gimmick. He hated for that. You know, he he just, uh, he hated for us to have to say something that. Crude and, and elementary, you know, is calling somebody Big Dick Johnson. I mean, like, you know, it was just he hated it.
0: You know, I'm, the first time I just sat down a commentary with you guys, I learned the difference between a color commentator and a play-by-play guy. I sit down, and we're in the commercial break, and Jr. has pages of notes. I mean, pages. And they are taped here, taped there, sticking notes here, stuff here, throws here. And I look over, and King is drawing somebody in the front row. <laughs> That's
1: all he's, he's got. This is make, awesome. That, that used to make Jr. so mad when I would. Uh, and, and then it got to where you know we had our we had a, a format sheet that had page after page. They were usually about 15 pages long of all the page after page of the format. And I would draw a doodle or something, Batman face or Superman, there is something on every single page of mine. And it got to where after a while, our um, the production guy that was working that was sitting beside us after the show would always grab my uh grab my product I mean to grab my run sheet because he, and then he told me later that he was saving them all because he was he said <laughs> one of these days I'm going to put this put out a, a a little book of all your artwork that you did during Raw <laughs> <laughs> hey well, King, t-
0: tell me the time i think it was i think you told me this i was trying to remember it that i couldn't find it in any, any interview you did when i think it was Vince McMahon senior and the NWA meeting, and they said, "Who was this that beat?" on <laughs> You remember the story?
1: You oh, tell yeah. the story. Of course, <laughs> I remember it. Um, well, it goes back to Bill After. I don't. Uh, I don't know if you. Of course, you guys know him, but I don't right. know how many wrestling fans know Bill After. I mean, he's uh, Bill After goes back way before all of us. In the uh, he was in the wrestling magazine business, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and all of those. I think at one time, they put out about five titles out of the company that he worked at in in New York. and um, and the great thing about Bill was, I don't know how I think I just started sending him some stuff and and I didn't realize that he was always uh, excited to get photographs and stories from other other territories around the country because uh, it, all the all they were able to do on their budget was just cover the northeast, cover right up there in the in the WWE territory or Vince's territory at that uh, Fence Senior. And and so I I started, I would send him pictures every week. Uh, and 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 he kept he would call me up and say man keep sending me stuff. He said, I'll put anything you send me. And that was honestly that was really a major way that I got myself known uh, around the country because you know back in the territory days. You were only seen in your territory on on your local TVs and that sort of stuff. So I would send pictures about our matches up to Bill and Bill would put them in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And and we all know in in those days, I mean, if you were in the wrestling magazine, you were as big as, you know, I mean, if I'm in the story right beside Bruno San Martino or something, the people didn't know the difference. You're all big stars if you're in the wrestling magazine. So um, anyway, uh, we had we got Andre. Uh, Vince Sr. sent Andre down to our territory, you know how they used to send him down to each territory for like a week, and you would, somebody would drive him around the territory and he'd work like in our territory work Memphis on Monday and Louisville on Tuesday and Evansville Wednesday and, and through the town through the week and then he'd fly back out. So on Tuesday night in Louisville, Kentucky, we had a match. And, and naturally, you know, nobody, nobody beat Andre. Uh, and, and, but he did somehow, I I think Jerry Jarrett asked him if he would go for a count out. And, and I think we had Sam Bass there as, as my manager or something, but anyway, we, we did a thing where Andre and I fought out onto the floor and we're fighting back and forth and I rolled back in the ring. And as Andre started back in the ring, Sam, I believe grabbed his foot from underneath. And so he didn't make the, he couldn't make the count. So I, I got the I got the count out victory. Well, I sent, I sent the pictures. I sent all the pictures in to Bill after, right? The, the next day, I mean, I sent them right in. So he Bill calls me up after he got the pictures. He said, oh, my gosh, these are great pictures. And he says, there's such a size difference in the two of you guys. He said, I want to write a story, you know, talking that you got the victory. But do you mind if I refer to you as a midget? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I wanted to title this. I wanted to put the title on the front page of the magazine, The Night a Midget Beat Andre the Giant. Uh-huh. And I said, no, whatever you want, Bill, that's fine with me. So sure enough, the next month, man, here it comes out. Uh, you know, the night of midget beat Andre the Giant. Man, great pictures of me and Andre all that out there. I mean, it was like the highlight of my career to get that much coverage with the with the biggest named wrestler in the world in the the national magazines. Well, I didn't really even think a thing about it, but then a few months later it became, it came time for the NWA convention that they had in Las Vegas. And this was like, like I said, Jerry Jarrett and I were first in, in business. So it may have been like 1978 or so. And we, uh, we went to the convention as promoters for the first time ever. And we're sitting in there around all the you know, there's all like you said, there's Leroy McGurk, and there's Vince McMahon Sr. And there's uh oh gosh, uh, Harley Race and Terry Funk are all there, and Paul Bosch, and all of the all the great promoters in the country were sitting in this meeting, and somebody gets up at the podium and says, Guys, we need to talk about the uh something that's looming in our future that may really affect the whole business it may be real detrimental to us and he said we're hearing a lot of word about something that's coming on the horizon called cable television and i think we all need to be aware of that and how how dangerous it could be and so about that time vince mcmahon senior steps up to the podium and he says. And Jerry and I are sitting about the middle of the pack there and had no idea what he's going to say. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you guys something right now. You don't need to worry about cable television. That's not going to be any problem. Here's something that is killing the business. though. this is really hurting the business. And all of a sudden he reaches down and he pulls up this magazine with me on the cover of it. Right. The night of midget beat Andre the giant. And he said, <laughs> look at this stuff. They're putting in these wrestling magazines. Dad, nobody's ever beat Andre the Giant. This can kill the business by, by putting out false publicity like this and, and stories like this. Nobody's ever beat Andre the Giant. And here it says a midget beat Andre the Giant. I mean, he was he was like me. He was turning <laughs> red and was so mad, right? And, and I'm trying to slink down in my chair and Jerry, Jerry and I are like putting our heads down. And, and of course, Terry Funk, about three rows behind us, he sees us trying to tuck down and he stands up. and he says, well, Vince, who was the little bastard? <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyway, I, I think I really may have gotten completely under the chair at that time. But yeah, that was, <laughs> Terry laughed about that for years and years, man. <laughs> and so you wonder why you got put in the ring with Michael Cole at WrestleMania. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think
0: that's, you know,
1: that that trickled the trickle down uh, philosophy there still worked on me,
2: Jerry. You. You you were at those meetings. Uh, was you at the meeting uh, the year that Jack and I made our 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 cell to Vince? And uh, you know what was going on at that at that particular meeting at that time? Were were you still uh, going out to Vegas for all the meetings?
1: No, <laughs> I, I <laughs> I me. we, we went that one time and that was it. I said I'm not. That was time. it. <laughs> I'm going <back> there again. <laughs> Well, King, one of the things – one of the reasons
0: uh, you were there, because at, at 77, that's when you and uh, Jerry Jarrett decided to buy the half the territory or a lot of the territory from Nick Gulas. But the whole thing came about because he was pushing George Goulas so much, and he won- tried to force him on the Memphis side of the territory, and that's when you guys ended up – Jerry Jarrett asked you to choose sides – and you jumped with Jarrett, took an ownership stake, and took the boys with you. And you had the the first cable television wars, right? Channel 5 and Channel 13, the first uh, head up wars.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, they, they were the two top stations in Memphis at the time. Uh, Channel 13 was ABC, and Channel 5 was NBC. And, and for years, the wrestling show with Nick Goulas' wrestling show had been on Channel 13, I mean, for maybe 20 years. And uh, it was the number one station in the market. And and so many people would watch wrestling that it made whoever was on the station, or whoever was on the wrestling show, it made them big stars as well. And, of course, Lance Russell, who was actually the program director at the, at Channel 13, he he hired a young guy, or he's actually uh, doing the weather. Uh, uh, he was like a weatherman on the show, and he was a former disc jockey named Dave Brown. And he went to Dave one day, he said, Dave, I want you to come and do the wrestling show with me. Just try it out and see if you like it. So that's how Dave and Lance got put together. And because Dave was also doing the weather, I mean, he, he got, you know, he got so big from being on the wrestling show that everybody started watching the news and the weather to see Dave Brown at night on the, on the weather. And they became that. That's what made them the number one station in the, in the city. So when I, when I went over and just out of the blue, I walked in off the street by myself and I asked, for a meeting with the general manager of channel five and he came down and met with me. And uh, I said, look, Jerry, Jarrett and I are starting in business for ourselves. We're going to leave channel 13. We're wanting to, we're looking for another station. Uh, we would love to be here on channel five and we're going to bring, we'll have, you know, 90% of the wrestlers that you're seeing now on channel 13 will come with us. Plus I think we have a real good opportunity to bring Dave Brown and Lance Russell as well. And that's when the guy's eyes really perked up. To be honest with you, Dave Brown was the selling point on getting us on TV on Channel 5 because we brought Dave Brown uh, to Channel 5 with the wrestling. They immediately put him as their top weatherman, and their their news went from number three in the ratings to number one and has remained there since.
0: But you went head up against uh, Nick Gullis's promotion, right? yeah and yeah, we said, up. But the story i heard i saw an interview you did that uh he told you you're gonna be out of business in a couple weeks and pretty much that time frame was when he was out of business <laughs> yeah
1: he lasted less he lasted less than a month
0: and it all started over him wanting to push his son george
1: and yeah and, and george you know i mean i mean we you guys we've we've all seen that down through the years different times wow. um uh promoters pushing their son and you know you everybody sees their own children through different through different eyes than, than the rest of the world, you know? And uh, it's so funny that you mentioned that because just yesterday, somebody on, on, it was either Twitter or Facebook or something, but somebody sent me and I had never seen it before, but somebody sent me a newspaper clipping from a match in Nashville where Jim White and I were wrestling. Uh, uh, Luthez was on the card a world, a world tag team title match, and and even a world title match on the on the same card in Nashville, and the picture where they always usually put the picture of a of a wrestler or whatever, the picture in the ad was a huge picture of George Gulis, and it said special referee George Gulis making his referee debut in Nashville. I mean, and that's the way Vince, I mean, that's not Vince. That's the way that Nick Goulas pushed George and right down the people's throat. And George was like a pretty good basketball player, but he certainly didn't look like a wrestler. And he just, he just, you know, he never could get it.
0: He also said uh, one of the interviews I saw Talk about the, since Jerry's here, uh, his brother, Jack was one of the biggest things that you happened to you. When you're coming along, it was all, you know the big old tough heels that uh, beat people up and you were a bumping heel uh the chicken shit heel you know it's <laughs> the most fun type heel to play no matter how big you are uh right. and, and you got the chance to go with Jack Briscoe, but that process was one of the things that really first made
1: you in uh, Memphis yeah that was a, the first match i had with jack was in 1974 and um and and you're right uh, up until that time i don't know if i don't know how much uh well I don't know how many times the world champion came through there. I guess a lot as, as, uh, as like when, when Luke Thans was champion or Harley race or whatever, but um, I mean, working with Jack Briscoe in Memphis as a young kid being from Memphis uh it, it, it really put me on the map. I mean, that was, that I was made after that to be in the same ring with the, with the world champion and Jack Briscoe and Jack was just so, he was just so fabulous. I mean, you know, and, and a lot of people don't realize that that, uh, you know, and I don't know if it's the same way now. It doesn't seem like it is. But the job of the world champion used to be to make whoever he wrestled look like they should be the champion. And and Jack was great at that. I mean, when you wrestle Jack Briscoe, he made the fans believe in, in whatever. If you, It was your hometown he made the fans believe that you should have been, you, you should have been the world champion somehow by hook or crook, you know, Jack still left with the title, but uh, he was, he was so great at that. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, and I think, I, you know, I always, I always had to, my philosophy was if you ever get two guys in the same ring and each one of them are trying to outsell the other one, you're going to have a great match. And that's, that, I, that's the way it was with Jack and I, I was trying to outsell him and then he in turn outsold me. And it was just, it was just, you know, everything he did looked fantastic. And, and I was made after that in Memphis.
2: Jerry, the key word that you said there was selling, you know, it's a, it's a lost art because these kids just actually don't have the time. I believe to, to, to get down into a hard show, but we had the time and that, you're right i mean uh, that's you know jack wasn't the biggest guy in the world and and so you know he had to distinguish himself out from everybody else and the way he did it was the selling and everything and uh he, he just uh he could outsell anybody in the business he sold so well that i don't know if you know this story but eddie graham one night louis Tillette, you remember louis louis got color. Yeah. decided he wanted to get color on on jack and uh, you know and uh, he got color on Jack and and, and I thought Eddie was going to fire Louie because Louie did that. He said, why did you do that? He said, I just want to see how the people react. And Eddie, Eddie asked him, well, did they react any different? He said, no, oh, the kid sells so good. He said, "Louis, you just said it right there. He sells so good by getting juice on it. If you take away, you distract it from the fact of how he sells. Yeah. And he told Jack never to get color again the rest of your career. And he never did after that time.
1: Wow. That's great. Yeah. I, I loved working with Jack. He was, he was awesome.
2: Hey, you know, you, yeah, I I've listened to the great thing about this is we get to do a research. And I've known you, like I said, since the beginning, almost beginning of your career. And so, but, uh, going back and watching some of the stuff there, you know, the original crown. You, you, uh, it's true that you got from Bobby Shane. Bobby Shane gave it to you that Bobby was killed later on. Of course, right here in Tampa Bay, you know, and they had an airplane crash. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it was funny. I had just, uh, and this was, I think, about in 1974 as well. What, what, year, what year did Bobby die, you know? Remember?
2: I think it was 76 or somewhere around there. Yeah,
1: you're right. It was 76. Cause that's when I was coming down to Atlanta to um, to work with uh, Jim Barnett a little bit. And so I, I was in the dressing room there when I, well, first of all, I had just worked with Jackie Fargo on TV in Memphis on Saturday morning. Uh, and, and I said, I made my interview, and I was just talking off the top of my head, just trying to make it colorful. And I just looked in the camera and I said, you know, Fargo, you've been the big shot around here. You've been the king of Memphis wrestling for a long time. But you're looking at the kid that's going to knock you off your throne. And so that was the last thing I said and that Monday night. I went over and, and beat Jackie. And as I was walking back to the dressing room, some young kids were slapping me on the shoulder and said, hey, you're the king now. You're the king. And I really didn't think anything about it. But then that Friday night, I went down to Atlanta. And all of a sudden, in, I'm sitting in the locker room, and in walks Bobby Shane, and of course he had, Bobby had never worked up in Memphis for us, so I didn't I didn't know that anybody was wrestling as, and he was wrestling as King Bobby Shane, King. and a right. beautiful, brown, and his robe draped over his shoulder, and I all of a sudden it jogged my mind about what I'd said and what those kids had said, and I said, Oh my gosh, Bobby. Where did you get the crown? And I mean, I I told him the story. I said, I just made this interview last week. I said, if I could find one of those crowns and show up next week on TV in Memphis uh, with that, it'd be, you know, such a hoot. It'd be awesome. And he said at that time, he said, well, you know what? And I'll never (coughs) I ordered them from a place in Houston, Texas called Southern Importers. You could order. I mean, I got the magazine. I mean, I got a catalog from them and you could order any kind of. Hollywood gimmicks, masks, uh, outfits, tiaras, crowns, and all this kind of stuff. It, it was for, uh, uh, you know, they just made all kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, trinkets and the really unusual kind of stuff. But he said, you order from there. He said, but you know what? I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm going for for Jim Barnett down to Australia. I'm going to be down there for three weeks. And he said, I'm just going as Bobby Shane because I didn't want to lug all this stuff with me. Uh, on the trip. And he said, why don't you do this? I'll loan you this crown and this robe and you, you show up because I was going back that mor- that night. It was Friday night. I got a midnight flight back to Memphis. <laughs> and then I'd be there for TV the next morning. He said, you're going back. He said, take, my, take this uh, thing after the uh, show, the crown and the robe, and you can have it on TV in the morning, then order it. And by the time I get back from Australia, you know, you'll have your own crown in. And so that's, that's how it happened. Wow. I took the crown with me that night. I showed up the next morning on Memphis TV. And there I I crowned myself the king of wrestling and king of Memphis. And then of course, a few weeks later, when Bobby got back from, uh, from Australia, I never got to see him. Once he got back, he got killed in a plane crash down there. Wow.
0: Did, did they get heat right away when you walked out with the crown and the robe? I mean, was that, um, did you know, right away?
1: Well, you know what? It was it was so funny. It was, uh, you know, that was back in the day. There were a few young kids that that liked the heels. But, yeah, it got major heat with most people. Uh, but there were still – then there were just that little few people that thought it was the coolest thing ever, you know. I started, you know, I started coming in on a sedan chair, having them carry me. I mean, I, I played the king gimmick to the hilt there for a while.
0: Was uh, Elvis already known as the king at that point?
1: Oh, yeah. Elvis was known as the king of rock and roll. And so this just fit naturally. You me, me being the king of wrestling. And as a matter of fact, in 1976, I believe. Uh, uh, no, it's 1977. That, right after that, um, I I had this manager named Mickey Poole. and he, it, it, this was after Sam Bass had gotten killed in the car accident right. yeah. in 1976. And so then in 77, this young guy named Mickey Poole was my he was my manager or my uh, we didn't I didn't even know if we called him a manager. may have called him a valet at the time, but we actually hired him to drive me on the trips. I just hated to drive and, and when Sam was there, Sam would always drive to Louisville to Evansville and you know, and I just have to sit over I'd sit over on the side and read comic books and stuff, right. But um so I, we hired this guy named Mickey Poole who I, I don't know if he, it was like he was maybe not always exactly right, you know, just a little bit off. But anyway, he was a good driver. So he was uh-huh. driving to Louisville, and uh, an Elvis Presley song came on, and and I said, you know what would be cool? Because the news was out then that Elvis was doing this martial arts stuff, and uh, with Kung Ree who was a famous karate instructor down in Memphis. So I said to Mickey, I said, you know what would be cool? I said if we could somehow get a hold of Elvis Presley, and do a uh, do a wrestler versus uh, karate match because they would already done, you know, they had done the Muhammad Ali and Enoki and, and match. Right. Uh, so I said, wouldn't it be cool? And he, and just crazily out of the blue, he said, well, you know what? I'll tell, I'll tell my brother to uh, ask him if that, if he'd want to do that. I said, what do you mean you tell your brother? He said, yeah, my brother's the president of the international Elvis wow. Inter- <laughs> club and has been for seven years. I said, what? He said he hangs out at Graceland out at the end of at the front with uh, Elvis's uncle, Vester and, and, and everything. Right. And I said, I, I didn't even believe him. I said, OK, yeah. Well, yeah. Get your brother to ask him if you would. So the next like two days later, we're driving somewhere else. And he said, oh, by the way, he said, my brother talked to uh, Elvis's dad, Vernon Presley. And Vernon asked Elvis if he'd be interested. And they love the idea. So Vernon Presley's gonna call you. I gave him your number. I (laughs) said, I said, Are you serious? He said, I swear. So, but I mean, Mickey was just known for being a goofball, and I still didn't believe him. So it was on a Wednesday, and I leave about one o'clock to go to Evansville, Indiana. And this was before cell phone days. So, and I was married at the time. So I get back, living in Hendersonville, and I get back home that night, and my wife says, Somebody called you this afternoon. He said his name was Vernon Presley. (laughs) And I said, are you serious? And she said, yeah. He said he'd call back tomorrow. So then the next day, I don't know, I said, no, it was Louisville I was going to. Then the next day I had to go to Evansville. And I waited, waited by the phone. No call. So I went ahead and went to the town, wrestled. I get back home that night. Get home. My my wife says, well, that Vernon Presley guy called again. I said, are you serious Damn. what it sound like? She said, it's just sound like a real nice, real Southern accent guy. And uh, he said, I, sh- I said, I told him in the, to call you in the morning. And he said, okay, he would. So sure enough, the next morning, phone rings. I pick it up. Jerry, this is Elvis's father, Vernon Presley. And I said, yeah, well, I'm sorry I missed your calls. And he said, yeah. He said, well, wh- they got to us with the idea of uh, you and Elvis doing something at the Mid-South Coliseum. And he said, Elvis loves the idea. He said he loves it. And uh, he said, but, but I'll never forget how he said it. He said, I'll be honest with you, Jerry. Elvis is not in too good a shape right now, but he's fixing to start working out. And he's got this he's got this uh, tour coming up next month. And he said, he's going to work out for that. And as soon as we get back from the tour, we'll get in touch with you and we'll put this thing together. And then, of course, he died before he even did the tour. Wow! 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 That close. That's wow. unbelievable. That you yeah. almost had that, a match with Elvis with Presley. Elvis Presley. Uh, that would have wow. that would have uh, been before Andy Kaufman. So, I mean, if I'd have had that, I don't even know if I'd have got to do the Andy Kaufman match later, you know. <laughs> wow. He's
2: probably. Uh, to Tell us this. This, is, uh, this was so interesting when I, I heard the story, uh, doing a little research. that uh, When you was doing the Andy Kaufman story, and we'll get into that, but you called Vince Senior, and Vince didn't want anything to do with the showbiz aspect of it or something like that. Tell us that story.
1: Well, I didn't call him Andy Kaufman. Andy, call. Grew, Andy oh, wow! Yeah, Andy grew up a wrestling fan in Long Island, New York, and he—I um, mean, he—I mean, he's told me the story when when he and I were just sitting around. Andy would come down to Memphis and stay at my house, and I filmed interviews with him with a little camcorder, and, and uh, we talked about his whole background for I don't know how long, but he told me the whole story of how I mean, wrestling really, really affected. Andy's whole life and his whole career. Because as a kid, he loved wrestling and he was a fan of Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. That's who he thought hung the moon. And he said, I used to watch him. I was so I was so enthralled watching Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. And he said, as I would watch him, even as a kid, he said, I knew, I realized that he was intentionally trying to make me mad or trying to make me hate it. He said, but I still liked him, and he said that's really what what I wanted to do later on in my career. He said I'm not a comedian. I've never told a joke in my life. I hate when people call me a comedian. He said I just do. I do performance art. He said I go and do shows, and he said the mo the thing I like to do most is make my audience mad, like a heel, or make them uncomfortable. And if you look back on it, that's what Andy always did. You never knew. You never really knew uh what andy was really doing because it it he's it, it, like you said he he made you feel uncomfortable watching whatever show he was he, doing he
2: seemed like he was angry
1: all the time yeah yeah so anyway um one night uh, he so it, once he got to be famous he wanted to kind of live out his his childhood fantasy of being a wrestler and he knew he wouldn't wasn't physically able to do that with a man so he started wrestling women and he started doing it in nightclubs and where he was doing his stand-up comedy shows, and he would did it on Merv Griffin. He did it on Saturday Night Live, and, but he told me he said it really wasn't just it wasn't being received the way I wanted to be because it was never in front of wrestling fans. It was always people that were wow. had come there to see something funny or something different, and and they just didn't get the wrestling thing, and so. Uh, And so he said, I always just wanted to wrestle in front of a wrestling crowd. So I went to, he said, I went to, I think it was a show in Long Island and Vince McMahon Sr. was there and Andy approached him and told him what he'd like to do, that he would like to wrestle women out of the audience at a wrestling show where all the wrestling fans would get what he was trying to do and he could be a legitimate heel. And and he told me that Vince Sr. said, well, Andy, I'll tell you what he said. I, I, I kind of like the idea, but he said our fans are so skeptical now. He said I'm really hesitant to involve a Hollywood actor with our shows because I think our fans would then start thinking we're all just actors. And so he kind of blew Andy off, he, and, he, and he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't go for the idea. And fortunately for me, Bill Aptor was was there, and he was a friend of Andy's, and overheard that conversation. And he called Andy off to the Sun He said, hey, he said, I got a friend of mine down in Memphis, Jerry Lawler, and they have their own territory down there. And he said, I'll bet if you called him, they would they would bring you down for the idea. And so then after that, it was almost like the Elvis thing. I got a call from Bill Apter and he said, uh, hey, you ever heard of Andy Kaufman? I said, sure. Watch him every week on Taxi. He said, well, he's going to call you tomorrow. I said, What? He said, yeah, Andy Kaufman's going to call you tomorrow. He's got an idea he wants to run past you. And I didn't believe Bill. And <laughs> my phone rings tomorrow, and it was Andy Kaufman calling Mr. Lawler. This is Andy Kaufman. And so that's how that's how it all came about. Wow. And really, he did just come down to wrestle women, and he was so excited, and, and he loved it the first time he did it. And then we brought him back a second time, and uh, he loved that. And, and he was pretty much content just doing wrestling the women. And I sort of selfishly thought, man, <laughs> how can I get the rub off of this big Hollywood star and get something out of this deal for myself? Right. So I went to Andy and I said, man, I said, you've gone about as far as you can go with wrestling women. I said, you need to have a match with a man. And he said, oh, no, no, I, I, I couldn't do that. I've been hurt or whatever. I couldn't just do it. And I said, I promise you, Andy, you and I can have a match and you'll not get hurt. And it'll be the greatest thing ever. And uh, so. He he came over. I showed him how to do the pile driver. I showed him how to to do the suplex and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and, and, and that's just how it all went. You know, it just. uh, How was your, how
2: was your relationship with that? Did you guys become good friends during that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great friends. Great friends. Yeah. He stayed, he stayed at my house and I shot all the, shot all our interviews for him with uh, my, my camera and just nobody there, but me and me. Andy in my front room, and uh, I mean, that we shot the interview there of him showing the people a bar of soap. Oh. We shot the interview of him. I shot the interview of him showing the people a, a roll of toilet paper. Yeah. Uh, those on, were the uh,
0: great, some of the greatest interviews of all yeah. time. That all was time. some of the best things oh, yeah. I've ever seen in yeah. wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, and, and it got so much heat. Yeah, he <laughs> and
1: I put those interviews together right there in the front room of my house, and I filmed them, and then after we only showed two, after we we had about four done in the can, and uh, after we showed the one with the toilet paper, the station manager called me up on the phone and said, "Jerry, please." I said, "What?" He said, "Please, no more Andy Kaufman hygiene and videos." And I said, "What?" Said, "Yes, it is. making everybody mad, and my 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 uh, the switchboard operator is driving her crazy. That's all she gets all day long." Our complaints about Andy Kaufman's interviews. <laughs> awesome. So, hey, hey, how
2: did the, how did the Letterman interview come along, and and, and uh, was David aware of what you guys were going to
1: do? Well, it came along just out of the blue. Uh, I mean, probably about six months. A lot, see, a lot, a lot of people don't realize that um, uh, Andy and I continued to work. We had the big match with the pile drivers. And he went to the hospital, stayed in the hospital for three days. And then he came back with his neck in, a, you know, with his neck and. Uh, well, he stayed in the hospital with his neck in traction for three days. Then he came back with the neck brace on, and uh we did all of. I mean, he kept coming back. He just loved it. I mean, he was so. He told me one time. He said, "I would quit everything that I'm doing in Hollywood. I'd quit taxi, everything, if I could just stay involved with wrestling." That's how much he loved it. And so, um, so he he was still coming back. I mean, I bet we had, I bet we had. 20 or 30 more different kind of matches. I mean, I had a boxing match with him. Uh, I, I had Jimmy Hart managing him and then he turned on Jimmy Hart. And then, then uh, I mean, then I had matches with him and Jimmy Hart tag tag team matches. And then, and then he turned on Jimmy Hart and I, 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 agreed to be Andy's partner against Jimmy Hart and uh, and the um, uh, assassins. And then, and, and so as soon as that match started, I walked out into the ring with the assassins and Andy came up from behind. He'd already put powder out in his hand and tapped me on the shoulder, boom, Threw the powder in my eyes. And those guys picked me up and pile drive me. And I mean, he put out a bounty to anybody that could put me in the hospital. He'd pay him, him $10,000. We were just going back and forth with all this and drawing terrific money in Memphis. I was tickled to death. Jerry Jarrett was tickled wow. to death. And then, um, then all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, I get a call from Andy out in Hollywood, and he said, "Hey, you want to be on the David Letterman show?" And I went, "No, let me think about it, Andy." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? He, sure, I would. So he said, "Well, we can be on there next week if you, if you want to, you know, come up to New York and everything." So, uh, I mean, that's it. We were just going to be on the David Letterman show, and 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 so uh, I I I was uh, just. Yeah, so excited never you know that, was, that may have been the first time i'd ever been to new york and um so so we get up there and uh, we have a meeting with the segment producer they take the show at 5 30 every afternoon and you have a meeting in the morning at like 10 30 with the segment producer and uh, his name was robert morton and so i got there at 10 10 30 and i went into his office and he's sitting there by himself and he said well jerry he said i'm sorry but Andy refused to be in the same room with you. He told me that, you know, I, I had him in here earlier and uh, told him that you were coming. And he just left. So I told him what we're going to do. And now I'll tell you that uh, he said he just couldn't be in the same room with you. So I said, okay. So the guy said, he said, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have you guys on for two segments. The first segment, Dave is going to show the film of you pile driving Andy, and he's going to show the footage of Andy making fun of women and making fun of Memphis and all this sort of stuff. And uh, he said, I like you guys to be a little bit antagonistic, not too much, but a little bit. And then Dave's going to take a break. And then in the second segment, you a- Andy will apologize to you for making fun of wrestling. And you apologize to Andy for hurting his neck. And then Andy's going to get up and sing what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Huh. So that was it. And so I said, huh. OK, that'll be funny. So I go back to my hotel room. And Andy comes over to my room. We're staying at the same hotel. Andy comes in and says, well, what do you think of what we're gonna, what they want us to do? And I said, oh, man, I said, that'll, that'll be funny and everything. But I said, you got to realize if you and I go on TV, network TV, and kiss and make up and apologize to each other, uh, that's going to be the end of us doing anything down in Memphis. And he said, I'll never forget. He said, man, you're right. And he just hesitated, and then he looked at me, and he said, wonder what would happen if you just hauled off and slugged me. Uh-huh. And I said, and I, at the time, I said, oh, Andy, I said, we, we can't do that. I said, first of all, they're taping the show at 530. They'll never show it. I said, second of all, I'll get arrested, and uh, I got to be back in Memphis tomorrow. You know, I, uh-huh. we, we just can't do that. And he said, yeah, you're right. wouldn't. When- <laughs> for some reason, I wanted to be a telemarketer. Or but anyway, I said, um, so we just went there later on thinking that um, uh, we're going to do what Robert Morton said. And um, so we got out there for the first segment. And, you know, it, it, we, he showed the film of me pile driving him. And we got a little bit antagonistic. That's where I told him, I said, you know, his mother wanted a the girl and his father wanted a boy, and they were both satisfied. And so just, you know, some different insults. And then I found out, I didn't know at the time, but I found out later during that show why he wanted us to be a little antagonistic. Because I think it got down to the point where Andy said, I could have sued you, but I'm not that kind of guy. And I looked at him and said, what kind of guy are you? And at that point, Dave, I looked over at Dave and he's looking down under his desk for something with his foot. And and all of a sudden, they had a ring bell underneath this underneath this table. He's <laughs> kicking it with his foot, right? And it goes ding, 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 ding. He said, well, we're gonna we're gonna take a take a break here and uh, kind of get things. We may have to get the hoses out and everything, but we'll be back with Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman right after this. So we go to the break, and Andy jumps up and walks away. He would not even he would not even sit there beside me while uh while we we're at break. And I'll never forget what, during the break. Dave Letterman leans over and says, "Uh, did you know that I got started out in wrestling? I used to be the ring announcer for Dick the Bruiser up in Indianapolis. I said, no. Yeah. He said, no, I never knew that. He said, yeah, sure did. He said, "Uh, yeah, I was at uh, all the Bruiser shows up there. So anyway, there's like 10, 9, 8. He comes. are you still there? Yep, we're still there. Yeah. We ain't He's going okay. anywhere. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, he, he comes back over and sits down. And um, so we, we started talking again, insulting each other and everything. And it just went on and on and on. And he never apologized to me. And I never apologized to him. And we just kept arguing back and forth. And, and, and I'm waiting any minute for him to apologize. And then finally, I guess we'd just been out there so long that Dave have realized, well, you know, this ain't going as planned. This has kind of gone off the track, so I'm going to have to take a break. And it was time to take a break and get that segment over with, right? And so uh, he said, "Well, guys, uh, you know, we'll we we'll, we'll get this straight out, but right now we're gonna we're gonna have to take a we're gonna have to take a break." And so Paul Schaefer started playing the music, and I swear to God, Dave didn't know. Andy didn't know. And I didn't know. I just, when I heard that music, I realized this is it. This is we're off. This is our second segment and we're done. And I just stood up, looked Andy right in the eyes to try to give him a little hint of what was coming. <laughs> I just, I just hauled off and slapped the snot out of him, knocked wow. him right, right out of his chair. And, uh, and, I mean, I slapped him as hard as I could, knocked him out oh. of his chair,
0: so Andy didn't know and Dave didn't know nothing. You just decided this. I'm calling an
1: ad lib here. I'm I going the business. <laughs> at, the, at the very last second, spur of the moment, and that's that's how it went went down.
0: You felt it. it.
1: <laughs> and then Andy went crazy
0: after that, right? He went off yes, and grabbed I,
1: the- I back to, They They took me, the security took me back to the green room. And, you know, it's only a two-minute break when you're watching it on TV for commercials. But actually, they shut down taping for about 15 minutes. And I don't know if they were talking about what to do, what we should, what in the world, how should we show that? Should we arrest this guy? What should we do? Right. And I'm sitting in the green room by myself. And 15 minutes goes by. At first, I would hear women screaming and stuff out there and everything. And I go, Jesus Christ, they're going a little overboard with this, right? So finally, everything quieted down and the door kind of peeked open. And there was this little guy. And he said, uh, it was like an intern. And he said, Mr. Lawler, Dave wants to know if you'll come back out and sort of wrap things up on this segment. <laughs> I said, I'll be glad to. And so then, right then I knew they're going to show that or right, well, then I yeah, thought, yeah. said, well, they may want us to try to redo that second segment. But then when I got out there and sat down, Andy was over on the side door that, that far door over there, they've seen the show where they, where they come and go out of, and he's holding the side of his head. And, uh, and they started kidding down: countdown, five, four. And Andy, Dave says, Andy, are you going to come back out here? And he says, no, if I do, I'll say words you can't say on television. So, boom, we're back on the air. And Dave said, well, we're back. And Jerry Lawler's here. And uh, Andy's here, sort of. And some nights I wish Tom Snyder was still here. Which <laughs> he, would, you know, he, used, he used to have the show before Dave. And All he right. said, but that's not the case now all of a sudden, here here comes Andy in over Dave's shoulder. And he starts pounding the desk and he let loose with the most unbelievable tirade of cussing. I mean, MF, C S uh, A, I mean, everything you could think of. He is cussing me out like a dog. And I'm looking at him like, what the Andy, come on, what are you doing? I mean, they're they're obviously going to show the slap, and there's no way they can show this. Right. And so I leaned back in my chair to try to show him with my body language that what you're doing is not cool. Right. And I crossed my legs. Uh, and then he just got mad and he grabbed Dave's coffee and like, but he did like I did with a slap. He grabbed Dave's coffee and he looked me in the eyes and, like, <laughs> and then, gave, me the gave, me, gave me time to move. Out of the way. <laughs> and then uh, then I jumped up at him again and they he took off. The security came and got me. And, uh, and Dave just wrapped up that segment with the great, greatest line ever. Dave said, and he was clearing the coffee way in his papers. And he said, well, I think he could say some of those words on television <laughs> I've said it a thousand times. What you cannot do is throw coffee. So, <laughs> so anyway, that was the end of that segment. And then, um, I, the, the security guard got me out onto the elevator, took me downstairs took me right back to my hotel room. I didn't see Andy or anybody or didn't hear from anybody until 1130 that night when the show came on. I turned the TV on and they showed every bit of it, everything. The only thing when when the cussing came on, you could could read Andy's lips so well. Uh, But they put in, instead of beeping it out, they made it even better. They put in the sound of like a cuckoo clock. So Andy was going, <laughs> and then he go, cuckoo, cuckoo. cuckoo. <laughs> and it, it, it was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, as soon as that was over, New York Post, New York Times, uh, every, I mean, news people, everybody started calling immediately. And the coolest thing to me ever was the next morning, Bill After picked me up from the hotel and he was going to drive me around. He took pictures of me at the Statue of Liberty and Empire State Building and we're driving me around uh, to do a, like a photo shoot for the magazine that was coming out next month. And as we we're driving in the taxi cab down down, I don't know what street it was in Manhattan. But I looked over and I saw Dangerfields, Rodney Dangerfields um restaurant. And of course, like I said, it was about 10 30 in the morning or whatever. And I said, Oh my gosh, Dangerfields, I I would love to go there. And it said appearing tonight at Red Fox. And 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 Bill said, Hey, hey, pull over, pull over. So he told the guy to pull over and he said, I'm going to run in and see. Uh, he said, sometimes, even though Red Fox is here, sometimes uh, uh, Rodney Dangerfield will be here as well. And he'll just like come out and introduce uh, the acts, you know. So he goes inside to see if Rodney's going to be there that night. And all of a sudden he comes out and he's like, Oh my gosh, come on. You're not going <laughs> to believe this. I said, What? What? He said, Rodney's in there right now and he wants to see you so bad. Wow. I jump out, I go in, here's Rodney Dangerfield in a bathrobe. Uh and a hot looking girl beside him, 10 30 in the morning. He's in a bathrobe sitting at his bar. And I come walking in and he's, he's, wait a minute. He's
0: in a bathrobe at his
1: bar? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything. With but a, 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 a hot looking <laughs> chick sitting right beside him. And so uh I mean, it was like he was on stage, he goes, Oh my god. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen last night. Oh my God! That was the greatest thing I've ever seen on television. And apparently, Andy's manager, George Shapiro, is also Rodney Dangerfield's manager. So he was he was watching that, and he was good friends with Andy. He had had Andy in the club before, but yeah, he was he was just all over that. He said that was the greatest thing he had ever seen on television ever.
0: So when, when they took you out after the, the segment was over, you didn't meet with Letterman or
1: any of the people that yeah, you Oh no, a matter of fact, the, never forget the security guard got me in into the elevator and pushed the button down, and he said, "I want to get you out of this building because Kaufman will have you arrested." He, he said, "His elevator I swear, to you, the guy said, his elevator don't go all the way to the top floor. So let me get you out of here."
2: <laughs>
1: so he wow. got me down and took me back to my hotel.
2: I saw Jerry where one letterman later told you when you met him later, that that was the one time that he felt like he lost complete control of of a show. And here, here's a guy who had been involved in in a way
1: as an announcer
2: with wrestling and everything, but yeah.
1: And and he also told me too, he said, for years, we referred to that as the famous show. And I said, what do you mean (laughs) by that? And he said, well, he said, that show made us famous. He said that, that show, that episode made us famous. He said, I'd already had two other shows on network TV that had gotten canceled. And he said, if I'd gotten canceled from this, he said, I'd, my career would have been shot. And he said, that show put us on the map. Wow. So,
2: yeah. so He basically he basically gave you credit for saving his career. Yeah. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> right.
1: Sort of Awful. what it sounded like. <laughs> did
0: you talk to Letterman after? I know you filmed the the, the show about Andy, uh, the movie uh, with Jim Carrey. But did you talk to Letterman during that time? Any any during that time to get his take on it?
1: No, never did. Never did get to talk to him. The next time I talked to him was the uh, the doing the film with Jim Carrey, and that's when he told me that about the, that they referred to it as the famous show and and uh, and all of that stuff. Yeah. How did they well, treat we, you then? Oh fine, real good, um, but. I mean, like during that, it was all set up. That was all the movie people, you know, the man on the moon people. And Dave just, Dave just came walking in, and and he had already he'd given him like a, you know, Dave didn't already do any of that kind of stuff. He'd never appear in any kind of movies or or any any kind of guest shots on shows or anything. So um, I think he would given him like, he said, "I'll I'll come there," and he wouldn't. He also wouldn't do any kind of makeup. To make himself look younger like everybody else did makeup to make themselves look like they did back in 19 uh back they did like they did back when we did the thing with andy you know in 82 but dave just he, he wouldn't do that so he he came on looking like like the year 1999 and it was supposed to be 1982 and um andy told him also he said i got one hour he said, I, "I and I can do the, I can do whatever you want me to do for an hour, but after that I gotta go." So everybody was just kind of rush, 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 and that was Jim Carrey had been such a jerk during the filming of this movie, and this was the last scene, that the last thing that we got to shoot in the movie, I guess, because of David Letterman's availability, it was the last thing we did, and I guess that Jim Carrey had forgotten that while he was being such a jerk to me, that I was going to get to slap the. Sh- the crap out of him in the last scene of the movie, and brother, I did. It was. Did you? It was harder. It was harder <laughs> than I slapped Andy. I promise. You. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So Carrie so was something to deal with. Did he really throw a,
2: a drink at you uh, when you met him?
1: Yeah, he did. Wow, yeah, he did. it was like because. I even went to the director, Milos Foreman. I mean, Milos, Milos Foreman was awesome. I mean, they, they got directed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus, big-name wow. big, big name director, right? And um, I finally had to go to Milos and said, man, I said, Milos says, this guy, does he read the script? I mean, does he not realize <laughs> that, that Andy and I were really friends? And he said, I'll never forget, he said, oh, Jetty, Jetty, I can't do anything. He's the 800-pound gorilla. <laughs> That's what he called him. So I said, I understand. And everybody all, during the whole filming of the movie had to refer to him as Andy. He wouldn't even talk to you if you called him Jim. Wow. So it was crazy. Yeah, and he threw a drink because he, he wanted to act. I guess he thought that Andy and I just really weren't weren't friends. And he did I mean, you know, he did all kinds of stuff. Threw eggs at me and looked and Stacy. Uh he uh threw eggs at you. Yeah, when we were getting ready to film the Letterman show, we we're getting out of a we're getting out of the limousine and just going around to the front of the thing, and I was like, "Boom!" Eggs busted on the sidewalk right beside us. And I look up, and there's Carrie like two stories up and hanging out of the window. <laughs> what was was so he trying to hit you? Yes, yes. Wow! And then, and also another thing he did at in in Hollywood during the filming of the movie, he. Uh, he sent word that uh that he wanted to invite and I was out there with Stacy, who I was married to at the time. He he invited Stacy out of this real, real, real nice restaurant that he as his guest that he was gonna you know meet us there and have dinner with us. Call coming in. Uh and and so so we get all ready and stacy's all tripped up and everything, and we go to this real Get in a cab, and go to this real nice restaurant, and uh, we're standing around waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting. And waiting. He stiffed us. He never showed up. Oh. <laughs> what?
0: What was his reason for throwing eggs stiffing you? Was he
1: just? He's just an idiot. He thought that he was. He called himself channeling Andy Kaufman, and <laughs> and he just thought that that was what Andy would do. So the answer is yes, he's an idiot.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: You know what? It's funny. Let me hang on one second. Let me show you something. I got this. Years later.
2: (laughs) Years later. This is great, John.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. I keep it. I keep this right over here. (laughs) I don't know if you can.
2: It says signature, but I can't read it.
1: Yeah. Okay. I got this little put your glasses on. Weird. It's on, you know, it's on like uh, parchment paper. And it says this. It says, Well, first of all, I got a call out of the blue uh one day, and it was this woman said, Mr. Dollar? And I said, Yeah, and she said, I'm so and so. She said, I'm Jim Carrey's secretary. And he wanted to call and get your mailing address. He wants to send you something. And I mean, this is like this is like five years after the movie, right? And so uh, I said, he wants Jim Carrey wants to send me something. And she said, yes, sir. So I give him the ad, give her the address. <clears throat> and so a few days later, a box like about this big comes in the mail. I open it up and it has this letter in it, and it says. Your Royal Highness, your wrestling outfit. Well, first of all, let me. Before I say that, somebody with the movie or something must have given him the outfit that I wore in the movie because I didn't, I wanted to take it back. It's like this cool uh, custom-made robe, sort of like that one I showed you a while ago. They had the thing like that uh, for me to wear in this wrestling scene of the movie, and but I didn't. You know, I didn't get to keep it. It went back to wardrobe. But apparently somebody must have given the gym that outfit and told him it was from me or something, because that's the way this sounded. Because it says, Your Royal Highness, your wrestling outfit is absolutely the greatest gift anybody has ever sent me. To have that piece of memorabilia from the most avant-garde moment in comedy history is a real thrill for me. Working with you was both an honor and an odyssey. I truly felt that Andy was still in charge, and I hope you'll accept this modest gift in return. I know you've done some music, so I wanted to share some treasures that I found in my record collection. But seriously, that was way beyond generous. And if you're ever in Los Angeles, please don't hesitate to call. I have a box at the Staples Center for basketball, hockey, and special events. And I would love for you to be my guest. Hail to the King, your loyal subject, Jim Carrey. And in that box was 10 vinyl record albums, all made by wrestlers. (laughs) There was was one by Antonio Rocca. There was one by Sweet Daddy Seeky. There was, uh, of course, the uh, the WWE wrestling album, and uh, several more that I can't even remember who. But I guess down through the years, a lot of wrestlers had done albums, and somehow he had them in his collection, and he sent them all to me. Wonderful. <laughs> so, so he stiffed you for dinner. He threw eggs at you, and then you get a slap. It. Yeah, yeah. Did he say anything after? Did he say anything oh. after the slap? Yeah, here's exactly what he said. Yeah. <laughs> when I slapped the piss out of him, he got up and he looked up at Milos and he said, Milos, I hope you got that on that tape because I can't do it again. <laughs> so that was the one thing. That was the one take, was Yeah,
2: one take he, he wasn't going for two, huh?
1: No, no, no. <laughs> that, that is awesome.
0: Have you had any contact with him other than the letter since? No, nothing,
1: nothing since that, no.
0: <laughs> Unbelievable. One of the How greatest stories we of called? all time. Well, hey, King, look, we hey, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Now oh. we told you an hour, we kept you for almost an hour and a half. So <laughs> I apologize to you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you got so much history that uh that just barely scratched the surface. So, we
2: didn't even get into WWE. We got to have part two of this down the line, King. If part you'll two and part that three? If, if, yeah. King will, if King will accept it. You know,
1: you're right. right. We, didn't even, we didn't even talk about anything in WWE. Well, we did a little bit yeah. about the WrestleMania match.
2: Yeah. Not you, with your highlight
1: of your career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had,
2: we had King, like John said, man, we, we, we've been looking forward to this. You know, we've been waiting till, for the special time, and we finally got you over. John called me last week from Rhode Island. I guess you guys were yeah. He said, we, All he said is we got him.
0: Oh, <laughs> we got
2: him. We got him. He didn't he didn't have to say his name. I know who he
1: meant. Yeah, so but you me. know what? I, I was also in the green room and I was listening to it. Put the put the show, put the hit on somebody else too about <laughs> having a podcast. Who was that, JBL. that you were talking to. Him. Oh, was your cousin. Who was it? Your cousin, honky Tonk oh yeah Huggy. Honky- yeah, yeah, yeah 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 putting a, putting a lean on him too to be on
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, we got there, you man. we're gonna get sponsors and now we can get anybody
2: oh. we got the, we got the king we
0: don't need anybody man that's right we don't need <laughs> anybody else so don't, don't don't diminish the fact that I was
1: getting Huggy talk on the on the show <laughs> I didn't seen <sing> honky <laughs> forever. <laughs> That's, so that's a top, that's what,
2: the top secret, man. You know what?
1: I, I sent out a tweet. I put out a tweet of me and he, he and I together, you know, and I didn't even realize it until I looked back at the picture. That there's a little bit of family resemblance because, uh, and, and I, and I told in the tweet, I said, not many people realize this, but honky tonk man and I are first cousins. His mother and my mother are sisters.
2: And I so, saw that tweet. I saw that tweet yeah. the other day. You know, it's always rumored that you guys were always related, but I didn't know the mother, the, the story on how you related. Yeah,
1: our mothers were sisters, so.
0: And we oh. share a birthday, just not the same year. November. Yeah, there
1: year.
0: you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a small world. King, it really is an honor. You've always yes, been so you. great to me. You've always been such a good friend. I always loved working with you. We we've had a lot of fun together. You are the <laughs> I <I'd laughs> always say that they argue the two best uh Color commentaries of all time. It's it's you and Bobby, and then everybody else is uh, going for third, going for third place. So
2: yeah, I gotta throw this in too, John. You don't, know, uh, maybe you do, uh, but King and I was I'm off. I've somehow I got off your list, but I always get a, a Christmas card every year from from uh, Santa Claus Lane, I believe it is eleven eleven Santa Claus Lane. And no, he, uh, no, no, it's it's Saint Nick Drive. Saint Nick Drive. Yeah, Saint there Nick Drive. you go. Thank you. And it's a Christmas card. A few years ago, he had one of my favorite Christmas cards he ever sent me. Like I said, by the way, I got off your list. So I don't know if it called it. I got fired or what. But he no, had a Christmas I, I, I card. Bet you,
1: stopped, you must have stopped sending me a card.
2: That's probably, yeah. Well, that was
1: my wife's fault. I'll blame
2: it on my wife. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got fired, Jerry, and I couldn't afford Christmas cards. Oh, <laughs> but he, he, he had this one. He had this Christmas card made up. Helmet Jackman at, at Mid-South Coliseum. And him throwing powder in my brothers, eye. would have, I think I'd have a powdery Christmas or something like that. It's yeah, the greatest, yeah, yeah. greatest have a white, Christmas card ever. White
1: Christmas. A white yeah. Christmas.
2: Everybody have a white Christmas. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're right. That was great. Thank, thank you for those, man. They're great memories. All right, guys.